0: Has anyone ever said to you, don't quit your day job? Well, that's a shit thing to say, because it implies that if you aren't proficient at something from the very beginning, then you never will be, and you should just give up trying. One of the biggest mistakes you can make in business is thinking that things will come to you quickly, believing that anyone has ever become an overnight success. Welcome to Episode 74, where I am joined by the one and only Darren LaCroix. Darren is the author of two books, Laugh and Get Rich and The Speaker's Edge. He's the only speaker in the world who is an accredited speaker, certified speaking professional, and a world champion of public speaking. We're going to get to that in a moment. Hang tight. This episode is sponsored by Nickerson, a full service branding, marketing, PR and communications agency with team members in Boston, L.A., Miami and New York City visit them at NickersonCOS.com
1: welcome to this shit works your weekly no-nonsense guide to networking your way to more friends more adventures and way more success with your host Julie Brown here we go
0: I met Darren at the National Speakers Association Conference. He was actually the second person I met on my first day at the event. And because I have apparently been living under a massive rock, I didn't know the legend that is Darren LaCroix. Yes, in the speaking world, Darren retains legend status. But he didn't become a legend overnight. So let's rewind the tape a bit and give you some history. In the 1990s, after a devastating business failure, Darren was forced to live with his parents and get a second job to pay off his business debt. As a subordinate in a sea of cubicles, clocking in each day, his dream was not to someday run the company. Instead, his dream was to make people laugh. But he had one big problem. He wasn't funny. Like, not at all. Having nothing to lose, he tried an open mic night at a Boston comedy club he bombed miserably. As he walked off stage, the headliner performer said to him, don't quit your day job. Determined to escape his life of monotonous Mondays, Darren refused to accept defeat and used that humiliation, rejection, and failure as a fuel to pursue a dream that even his friends and family said was ridiculous. Without a funny bone in his body, he may have been least likely to be a comedian, but he had a willingness to fail. He made incredible sacrifices for his passion, and even though his journey shifted, Darren received guidance and discovered a formula that yielded such abundant success it even surprised him. Over the next few years, he was relentless in his pursuit of comedy. On the way, he found another outlet, professional speaking. In 2001, his persistence, patience, and perseverance paid off when he won the title of World Champion of public speaking. In that contest, Darren beat out 25,000 contestants from 14 countries with a speech that people are still talking and laughing about today. Now, Darren travels the world, inspiring audiences with his least likely story of how he went from chump to champ. He's spoken in every state in the United States as well as 45 international cities, including Milan, Shanghai and Kuala Lumpur. And today, friends, he is here with us to talk about how, with habits and mindset, we can all look forward to quitting our day job one day. Hey, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so, number one, first off, I'm so glad we met, and now I'm so glad you're here. So, let's talk about the journey from after you, I, I've watched a bunch of your speeches, so I actually saw the comedy um, bit that you did that bombed and when I say it bombed like it it bombed how did you go from that to where you're now I just want the whole thing it's so amazing
1: well thank you thank you let me back up a half a step because then people understand even why it was kind of crazy to do it in the first place I had uh, always been told I wasn't funny when I was eight years old I tried to make my family laugh my cousin and uh brother. we making everybody laugh at the Polish family holiday. And I was at the kids table. I stood up and I threw out a punchline and I hushed my whole family <laughs> and people like, dude, you're just not funny. And I squirmed down in my seat. I was so embarrassed. And I told myself, I will never, ever try to be funny again because it hurts so much uh but after my college days at Bryant College in Smithfield, Rhode Island, not too far from you, mm-hmm. uh I went from the American dream. I bought a Subway sandwich shop. I leveraged all my credit and if you don't know, Subway at that point had 5,000 stores. They had a 98% success rate. I, I
0: until you bought one?
1: <laughs> I, I was in the 2% <laughs> that didn't make it and I sold it at a loss. So technically it wasn't a failure, but it was for me. And my buddy gave me this motivational tape of a man named Brian Tracy. And I'm um, lowest point in my life, driving down the road, my buddy had given me this and I'm listening. And he said, he asked a question. He said, what would you dare to dream if you knew you wouldn't fail? And I thought about, it. I'm like, okay, let me take this serious. I was like, I would be a comedian. How cool would that be? Make an audience laugh and earn a living at that. That would be the ultimate. But all of a sudden the voice of reason popped up by my shoulder and said, but you're not funny. Remember that eight year old incident. And I went back to that eight year old dreamer and I said, you know what? I got nothing to lose. I live at home with mom and dad. Uh, I'm. College loans, still business loans. Uh, who cares? So I couldn't live with the regret of wondering yeah. what if yeah. regrets suck. And I just couldn't do that, thank God, because I said, okay, now if I'm gonna do it for anyone who has any dream, any passion, the only thing worse than trying it is trying it half-heartedly and then still not knowing. So I went to a little comedy club. I had never been in one in my life. I went to a comedy club in Worcester, Massachusetts, or as we say, Wista. Wista, and I walked up to the headliner. Now I'm a hyper introvert, so it took courage to just walk up to this stranger, never mind the headliner. And I said, Hi, my name is Darren. I want to try this. What do I need to do? And he asked me a question. He said, Are you funny? I said, No. He said, Good. Like, what do you mean, good? And he went on to explain that people who are class clowns, people who are naturally funny, he said, That's one skill set. Mm-hmm. But if you took a class clown, Handed them a microphone, and you know this, yep. and you put them in front of a hundred strangers. They couldn't make them laugh. Yeah, that's a different skill set. Now they could it's learn different. it, but right out of being funny around the family to a hundred strangers with a microphone, that doesn't work. He said, but that skill set can be learned. Mm-hmm. And I did a Scooby Doo. I'm like, what? And he handed me an ounce of hope. And he said two things. Number one. Uh, go to open mic nights and watch other people just starting out, which duh made sense. Cause when I told my friends and family, they compared me to Seinfeld, yep. someone who wasn't funny, just thinking about it to someone at the top of their profession. If you got a hope or dream, you want to quit your day job, whatever you want, don't compare yourself to someone who's at the top, learn from them, be inspired by them. Find, as you say, find their habits, but don't compare yourself. That's, that's n- not fair. So he said, number one, go to an open mic night. Number two, get the book. It's like book. There's a book about stand up comedy. Well, of course, there's books about everything, but I w- I wasn't aware that of that. It didn't even dawn on me that someone had been there, done that, you know, wrote the book. And so he said, go get the book. The book was called uh, Stand-Up Comedy, The Book by Judy Carter. So I immediately went and got it. On Sunday night, I went to Stitches Comedy Club, which at that time was right outside of Fenway Park. And I watched an open mic night, and I thought, these people suck. (laughs) I can do that.
0: I can suck, too.
1: (laughs) I can suck, too. And it literally, kid you not, it, it inspired me. So I went back every Sunday night for two months. I read the book. I did the exercise. It was April 26, 1992, the clip that you saw, Stitches, Boston Mass. I brought my friends with me because I was growing up. I was a mommy's boy. I chickened out of everything. And I told my friends, I'm going up tonight. I don't care how bad it is. I'm never doing this again. So it wasn't a dream at this point. It was a not living my life with regret at this point. And so I went up on stage nervous, shaking, literally had my you little tell. jokes, <laughs> had my little jokes on note cards. My voice is quivering, I'm doing the Peter Brady thing and there was one point where I was telling a joke about Dr. Robert Goddard who had launched the first liquid fuel rocket in history in my hometown Auburn. And so I was making light of every town in New England claims to have the claim to fame that changed the world and so I was making light of it. And I said, Dr. Goddard's rocket took off in Auburn and it went vertically, but I did horizontal with my arm because I was so nervous. My body language was horizontal, <laughs> but I said vertical. And at that instant I realized I messed up and I just said, ah, shoot. Well, it's not the actual word I used.
0: You can use that word on this and, podcast. But
1: I said, ah, shit. And everybody laughed. And I was looking around like, what, what happened? Mm-hmm. And that was the only laugh I got that night. (laughs) As I walked off stage, this other comedian put his arm around my shoulder. He said, don't worry, man. It's just your first time. And I'm like, don't worry. Did you see what I did? I got a laugh. I am the (laughs) king of comedy. Why so often do we let other people tell us what success is? Right. Everyone thought I bombed. I'm like, like. I made a mistake in that five minutes of time. I had one thing that worked. I if I could get rid of everything that didn't work and figure out how to reproduce the one thing that did, I could do this. And that's when the dream happened. I was like, I was all in and I got every mentor I could. I read every book that I could. And the book is important because I think to be successful at anything, you need two things, which is number one direction, Mm -hmm. you can work your butt off. But if you're working your butt off in the wrong direction, you're wasting time. Right. Number two is correction, that mentor, that guide, that person who will realign you and get you back on track. And I think that's what I call the math to mastery. Effort, we gotta put in the effort times direction, which direction are you working in, plus correction. Effort times direction plus correction. You can master anything. Most people aren't willing to put in the effort or they have their ego in the way and they don't get the direction or they, they think they're a DIY or they don't need any correction. And I just think that's the simple, most powerful formula. If you got a crazy, ridiculous dream and really want to make something big happen.
0: So how does that fall into the habits that you learned?
1: Well, So going to my mentors, I asked them, okay, what, you know, what do I do? What, what do I do? And I was looking for commonality. So I went to one thing I learned because at that point I was absorbed with Brian Tracy and Tony Robbins and all motivational tapes. And they said, I kept hearing it over and over again. They said, go to people who are the best because they think differently. Okay. So in the comedy world, I was a wannabe, you know, I wasn't even an open micer yet. And there's opening acts, middle acts, and headliners. And what I took from their advice, applying it to the comedy world, and now the speaking world, is go to the headliners. When you're a wannabe, you're happy to be around an open miker, uh, an, an opening act. But they have the worst habits. They, have, they haven't made the mistakes yet. See, headliners made the mistakes. They've been there and done that. They've seen yeah. it. I've seen it from everyone. So if you go to the wrong people, you're going to get bad habits that will lengthen your learning curve. Mm -hmm. And so when I went to the headliners, the one thing I heard in common from every one of them is stage time, stage time, stage time. They said, Darren, any day that you don't get on stage is a day Mm -hmm. that you don't grow. Right. And I was like, well, don't I have to be good? They said, no, no, no. You have to go up to get good. Yeah. Now think about this in the Boston comedy world, there's only four open mic nights and there's a hundred wannabe comedians. So there were many nights I used to drive, my my high school buddies used to make fun of me. I would drive two and a half hours to Portland, Maine to go on stage for five minutes for free mm-hmm. and drive home and go to my day job the next morning. And my high school buddies used to make fun of me. They would say, Darren, you're stupid. Mm-hmm. Now I get to fly all over the world and get to do what I love to do for a living. Now they look at me and I stay in nice hotels around the world, now I'm lucky. So apparently you can go from stupid Stupid. to lucky. (laughs) If someone calls you stupid, keep going, you're on the right
0: path. How did you transition from comedy to professional speaking? Because you are funny. I've watched some of your professional speeches, your keynotes, and you are funny in them, but you are not a comedian in them. You're actually teaching right. people.
1: Yeah, I mean, I learned the elements, and I'm so forever thankful for my background. But when, you know, that number one habit, stage time, trying to get it, you know, I would go to hang out at comedy clubs and like this, and maybe you can get on tonight. So I was at comedy. I would work my day job and go to comedy club six or... Seven nights a week just to maybe get on. And so I was like, this is crazy. And I was sitting at my desk at Bose Corporation. So I worked on Bose Mountain in Framingham, Massachusetts, at one of those cube farms. Mm-hmm. And they had this, had this newsletter uh, about this thing called Toastmasters. And I picked it up. I'm like, what's that? I start reading it. I'm like, hey, wait a minute. Here's a place I could get stage time during the day. Comedy clubs are only open at night. I could fail twice a day. <laughs> Woohoo! So I walked into my very first Toastmasters club, not knowing what it was, just potentially a place to get stage time. And I I walked in and I noticed something very distinct, different from the comedy clubs. These people were warm, encouraging, and sober. So I immediately joined most of them, exactly. I immediately joined four Toastmaster clubs because I saw the value. My mentors said that habit, that habit, that habit. So if the key is the habit and getting more experience, then if I double my habit in a Mm -hmm. day, you know, I will exponentially change my trajectory. And I think that's what a lot of people miss is like, yeah, you can learn from a course, which is direction, nothing wrong with that, but it's what you do with the course. Sure. It's what you do after. It's how you go apply it and mess up and adjust it and mess up again. I was just a guy willing to work harder than most because I wanted it better, better. I wanted it worse More bad. Most. You
0: wanted it more bad. More <laughs> bad,
1: man, more bad. And so when I found Toastmasters, I went there to get better as a speaker, excuse me, better as a comedian. I didn't even know what a speaker was. Right. And eventually I started realizing, I'm like, oh, wait a minute. And it was actually my club president who said, um, he pulled me aside before one of the meetings. He said, Darren, do you realize what you have to give? I'm like, give, I'm not here to give anything. I'm here to get stage time. Mm-hmm. And he said, Darren, what do you have to give? And I'm, I'm like, you got to explain it. I don't understand the question. He said, you're trying to learn how to be funnier. All the Toastmasters wish they were funnier. Why don't you do a speech? on how to add humor to your presentation. And going back to the Tony Robbins tapes, I'm like, but I suck, I'm not even an opening act yet. He said, yeah, but you've studied it more than us. You're ahead of us. So I took him up on the challenge and I did my first educational speech. And uh, you know, I took one of the exercises from one of the books that I read, I gave full credit and I taught it in 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And people were taking notes. And I thought, how rude, I'm working here because I came from the entertainment side, not the educational side. I didn't realize notes was good. Oh yeah. And people actually thanked me after. And I was like, thanked me? That's never happened in my comedy career other than being thankful I'm done because I was bombing. And that was my first educational speech and my first experience. And I was like, oh. I'm actually a pretty good teacher. I'm thankful for my background in comedy. And I did both for about six years. And about 1998, I I started letting go. I'm like, the comedy is awesome. I love it, it's fun. But when you're in a comedy club six or seven nights a week, if you have a personality like mine, like I was just being drained. Like my soul was being drained. It can be fun and exciting. I still love it, but going every night, and just it just didn't work for me so i kind of drifted away from that and i still enjoy it but only on occasion
0: uh any wake-up calls along the way
1: how long is your show
0: can be as long as you want (laughs) i'll just edit you out No.
1: yeah there were a lot of wake-up calls along the way like i had been a stand-up and i came into the speaking world and i had no idea that uh, most people, when they come into the speaking world, they're like at the lower rung of the ladder. But when I came in, because I did stand up, I came in like halfway up. I was like, well, that's interesting because people like you do stand up Oh. oh because they put it at such a high regard. I'm just like, oh, well, I'm just willing to go get rejected over and over. Right. That's all. Doesn't mean I'm good, but you do. And so in their world to them, that was a big deal. So I still had to learn speaking, but one of uh, one of my big wake up calls is when I met my coach, Mark Brown. I never got coached before, but when I found myself in the speech contest, my uh, my comedy mentor had seen that, you know, I heard in the speaking world, you gotta find your story, you gotta find your story, you gotta find your story. And <laughs> Like, what story? So I would look, try it, try it, try it, try it. And my mentor said, Darren, stop trying to find that story that will launch your career. And instead, take the stories you already have and make them so good, people will pay to hear them. And that was a game changer for me because I was marketing myself. I was working my day job. I was speaking as often as I could. The one thing I wasn't doing was trying to perfect my craft. Duh. Duh. And so in 2001, he had passed away. And two years later, I finally said, you know what, I got to take his advice because I'm just like mediocre at best and I'm not getting any better and so i got a couple of coaches and one of them his name was mark brown he had won the world championship before Mm -hmm. and i was like okay i got the great coach i got my stand-up background i was getting paid about twenty five hundred dollars a speech at that point but i still had my day job because it was i was booked once every six months so you can't really live on that and (laughs) uh yeah once every six months not the speaker's dream so but you know i was working it working it working so When I first met Mark, I had to write a new speech. So at the top three levels of the world championship, you have to come with a new speech, you have to come with a new speech. And so I was out of good stories that I could use and work on. So it was the first time I had had to start from scratch because I was, taking my mentor's advice and taking the stories i had and working on them with my whole goal to put them back in the speech thus raising the value of the whole speech because the story was improved so now i had to work from scratch and anyway my mentor his name is mark brown he had won the world championship in 1995. he gave me some advice and so i took his advice i wrote the speech from scratch which i had never really done before i drive two and a half hours to work with my coach and i thought you know. He's going to be so impressed. And this is the greatest speech in the history of Toastmasters. And we're at Reader's Digest in a little corporate theater. And I was there with Mark. And if you don't know Mark, he stands about six foot two. He's got a heart of gold. He's a native of Jamaica. And he's got this beautiful, booming laugh, like the guy from the old 7-Up commercial. Ah, ha, ha, ha. (laughs) That was my coach. So as I handed him the greatest speech in the history of Toastmasters, I saw it was so good. You could hear choirs of angels. Mark took the speech. (sighs) Oh, Darren, we have some work to do. What? I did everything you told me to do. I wrote the greatest speech that I could write from the level I was at. But you don't know what you don't know. And I was average at best. What I wasn't was world-class. So I thought if he gave me a couple of tweaks, I would be fine. I had no idea I needed a schooling on how to create a world-class presentation. There was so much more depth to go into and that's Mm -hmm. You know it's like going to ikea you buy a new piece of furniture with a buddy who and then you bring it home and you never read the instructions and you wonder why there's two brackets and a screw left over because right. you didn't read the instructions well if you want to be world-class you got to go and get a teacher who's world-class you know you want to whatever mountain you want to climb who, who has been there and done that get their book read their book do their yes. habits you know there's so much that we can do but we waste so much time and our ego gets in the way so i learned from that lesson if you're not coachable there is no cure mm. if you're not coachable there is no cure and my ego had gotten in the way and that's when i became a student again and that's when i really changed my career
0: interesting interesting uh, that's so interesting that you you invest it because that's hard for some people to and obviously coaches cost money that you took the financial next step of investing in a coach for yourself because i think a lot of people struggle with that decision
1: yeah it's a it's a tough decision and i've learned over and over again it works now full disclosure mark at that point had just started coaching and he wasn't charging me so i just want to say that okay. yet I get it now and I see the value of coaches. I get coached. I invest in coaching Mm -hmm. and Mark and I, now we have our own podcast and we've, uh, I've helped Mark grow his coaching business. So now he gets 500 bucks an hour for one hour shot. But most people you gotta do three or four or five sessions to really make progress. And I see the value when I'm working on new things like, nope, uh, I'd love to take the course, but I'd rather you hold my hand. Here's some money. And it Mm -hmm. saves you time and you avoid so much frustration because you and I have our own stories. We have our own style. We have our own issues. Everyone's got their own issues. So why not go to someone who's skilled at digging out what you have in you in order to get you there faster? It's simply the fastest way to grow.
0: So one of the stories that I loved, I watched a lot of your videos, um, by videos, I mean videos of your keynotes, um, of your presentations for different companies. And in one of the videos, you told this story, which I loved, about a lesson you learned From a grouchy old woman at a craps table in (laughs) Vegas. And I do love this story. So I want you to just give us this story because I think it, it works so well with what we're talking about today. Sure,
1: sure, absolutely. That's one of my favorites too. And it was a big aha. So I live in Las Vegas, lived here several years, but I'm not a gambler. And one of my friends was running a Hollywood fundraiser. And I happened to be in Hollywood and she invited me to go. Cause she was kind of hosting the party. And I was like, yeah, sure. I'll, you know, I'm here. I'll hang out for a while. And so I didn't know anybody I'm an introvert. And I was like, you know what? I should learn craps. Like if I'm going to be here and have to be at this party, I don't really want to talk to anybody cause I'm an introvert. Let me go at least understand the game. So I walked over to the craps table, and I'm sitting there, and I'm watching, and I'm studying. And in between, people who would come to the craps table, I'd ask the, I guess they're called a dealer, or I don't know what they're called, but the the person who was running yeah. the table, I would ask them questions, ask them questions, ask them questions. And then more people would come and play. And this this little old lady comes up to me, and she reminded me she had these arthritis hands. She reminded me of my grandmother, and but she had this little raunchy look on her face. And she looked up at me to see what I was doing. She looked back, she started playing, and then she looked up at me again. She's like, young man, what are you doing? And I'm like, well, I'm learning to play crap. She said, well, put some money in the game. I said, but I don't know how, like, I I can't put it in the game if I don't even know how, (sighs) and she just stared me down. She would not go away. She said, young man, put some money in the game. You'll learn faster. And so just to shut her up, I put money in the game and she was right. You learn faster when you have some skin in the game.
0: Right.
1: I could have sat there all night, but I would not have learned as much as if I had some money in the game. And I don't know what that little old lady's name was, but she taught me a valuable lesson. Mm to get in the game you can't learn it from the sidelines nope.
0: yeah yeah and it's it's so true when i think about people with anything
1: mm-hmm. it's
0: it, whatever you want to do whatever you want to be good at if you don't do it and learn from your mistake i would say you can't learn from just make mistakes if you don't make any but you have to get in there and do it and you have to put yourself out there no matter what for me, because I'm a networking expert, whether it's going to an event and failing miserably meeting people and talking to people and feeling, like, boy, I really put my foot in my mouth on that one, you know, or for me, learning to become a better professional speaker. I, I always say I taped my first professional speeches and they are brutal to watch. <laughs> they are brutal. The content was great. I was terrible, you know, and mm. You have to you it anything that is of value to you that is important to you, yes, you have to you have to have skin in the game for for you to get better at it.
1: Yeah, you can't be a perpetual student. I have I teach presenters and how to create unforgettable presentations, how to tell better stories. And we've had some people who come to our events and they come to our events and they come to our events and I finally told them, Until you go give a speech with yeah, what yeah. you've learned you will not be allowed to come to any more of our events like i love people i love you know we have a humor camp we have a story camp unforgettable presentations but i'm like unless you're gonna go do it you're 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 taking up a spot and you're not truly getting all the learning out of it because you're just taking the course you're not getting quote unquote the experience you're not in the game when i was in when i was in high school a uh, big lesson was i was always a riding the pine, if you will, second string and everything. I wasn't that good. I liked sports. And my dad took a picture of me playing football on the sidelines. And I'm like, dad, don't take a picture of me on the sidelines. And he said, but Darren, you're never in the game. Yeah. <laughs> That's beside the point. And, you know, I was one of those kids that unless you're way ahead or way behind, like you, you just, you're not going to be in the game. And I realized now I wanted to be in the game. But I wasn't doing the work to get the coaches, the decision makers to put me in the game.
0: Yeah. I always say when I'm giving speeches and people are taking notes, and it's true. When people are taking notes, I'm like, great, they're getting it. Or they're taking pictures of my slides. One of the last things I say to them is don't absorb what I've just said and not do anything with it. People, you know, don't absorb and not do because that's what most people will do because people always say to me, are you afraid that like suddenly someone's going to be better at you than networking or you give away so much for free? And I'm like, Nope, because most people don't <laughs> do.
1: Uh-huh. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> they're dreamers. They're not doers and yeah. you got to do both.
0: Yeah. So going back to your world championship speech, number one, what was it about? And number two, how did you decide, okay, this is my speech for, the, for this world championship speaking?
1: Yeah, and that goes back to the power of coaching because I didn't know where to start. Mm-hmm. and My coach said, okay, choose a child in your life. And I, didn't, I don't have any children, so I chose my eldest nephew, Michael, the closest to me. And he said, okay, if you were gonna die tomorrow, what one lesson that you learned from your life would you wanna pass on to Michael to help him through his mm-hmm. whoa, see that forced me to go deeper sure. in me. And most people, uh, even now as the world champion, 20 years ago, people come to us every year. What's the formula? What's the formula? I'm like, I don't know your life. I can't yeah. just tell you here's the winning formula because you won't own it. That's not from you. That's not in that deep place. And so he said, Darren, don't just answer that. Just take a few days and write out every lesson you've ever learned on a, a sheet of paper. So I had a pad of papers. Halfway down the third page, I wrote down, I became a comedian because I was willing to fail. Mm-hmm. And if there is one lesson I could give to my nephew that you could learn anything you want if you're willing to fail, and most people aren't. Mm-hmm. So the working title became Willing to Fail. And I told my my story, the, the Brian Tracy story, and a little more to it. But it, it really came from that essence that Hey, Dr. Goddard failed, but you know, we did get a rocket to the moon, but that first, the first, his first flight was only 41 feet high. The New York Times dissed him. They put a headline, moon rocket misses target by 238,799 and a half miles. I was like, you bastards. <laughs> like, and they didn't retract it until after he had passed away. But for his wife's sake, they finally retracted that headline because eventually we got to the moon. Right. And it was because of Dr. Goddard. But sometimes we put too high of expectations on that first flight, mm. you know? And that's with me and my stitches. Everyone else was like, well, you bomb. Sorry. I was like, are you kidding me? There was a whisper of a laugh. And I think that's what a lot of people do is they would focus on the other four minutes and 58 seconds. Mm-hmm. I focused on those two seconds at worked, And yeah. I expanded it. I'm like, I don't care if it was a mistake. I'll just make more mistakes
0: or the two seconds that felt really good. Like you want to feel that feeling again.
1: Absolutely. It was it was like a drug. And it was so good and so powerful that it, it just inspired me. I focused on that. And when I thought about it years later, like why? Why then? Why did they laugh then? And I realized that I was so nervous. I was so caught up. I was worried about my friends. I was worried about what I was gonna say that when I did mess up for one split second, I became myself. Mm-hmm. authentically on stage, when I just got disgusted with myself and said, Oh, shit.
0: Yeah. Like,
1: what they laughed at that because I became real mm-hmm. for one second. And that's why it worked.
0: Yeah, that I didn't know I was going to ask this question, but because you said that, like, there's all of this talk right now and uh, being authentic, authentic is the new word. So, like, when you're saying I was being real, I was being authentic. Like, I think people are trying too hard for authenticity. (laughs) And in the process, they're losing the ability to be real. What do you think about that?
1: I think you're dead on. I think you're exactly right. I think people are so worried about what other people will think of them. Yeah and they're trying to put up that facade but that's the problem is you're trying don't try Mm -hmm. but when you realize the power of being authentic which is eat more easily said than done but after you train yourself and you realize your transparency is so much more powerful Mm -hmm. than anything you could tell people like just you know i mean here i am talking about bombing uh, one of my favorite jokes was about my subway failure. I took a $60,000 debt in just six short months. I doubled that debt. I turned Subway Sandwich up into a nonprofit organization. <laughs> you know, I'm not bragging, you know, I'm being real and authentic. And, and that's when I really, and that came right out of that Judy Carter book. Like, what are your failures? We try to teach people in presentations. What are your failures, your flaws, and your firsts? because that's when you're gonna connect. Somebody else has that same failure, but because you had that failure, you're the presenter and you overcame that, you'll inspire them. But if we're always trying to look good, Mm -hmm. audiences are too savvy. Years ago, you could have pulled it off. Not anymore. (laughs) Uh, They can sense it. And so just be real and you don't have to try so hard.
0: So can you tell us a little bit about Stage Time University, what that is, what that does for people?
1: Well, we help good presenters become unforgettable. What if you're a shitty presenter? Do you have to be good oh, before you then, get there? Go to Toastmasters. <laughs> okay. <laughs> get, get to uh, competent and then we can help you. But no, I mean, obviously you can come anytime you want to learn and it's better to learn world-class techniques sooner rather than later. Otherwise you have to unlearn things. And you know I I love your idea of habits. That's why when you invited me, I was thrilled because I just I actually just wrote a new book, 17 Minutes to Your Dream. Uh, it's not out yet, but it's it's just about everything we've talked about. It's the habits. It's doing at least 17 minutes a day towards your dream, and literally sticking to it. Habit time, habit time, habit time. Whatever that habit is in your industry or what you're going for. So we have an online program. We have online events. We had live events pre-COVID and hopefully we'll get back to those soon. But they're, you know, they're two days of world-class techniques and we've been teaching and coaching this for years. Now I do what my coach did for me. I help people dive into their story and dive into their life and and show them how to package it in a way that it can be absorbed. You know, we've been trained from childhood to love stories. You know, yes. you've never, never heard someone go to their, or if you're listening to this, you've never gone to your kids, uh, and right before bedtime and they say, mommy, daddy, show me a PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> no, tell me a story. Me the story it. is the heartbeat of it. So, uh, so I train people to tell better stories.
0: I want to get back to one quick thing. If very At the very beginning of this podcast, you mentioned mm-hmm. Seinfeld. And that is who everybody thinks when they think of a comedian. And I sure. listened to an interview with him. And I can't remember who was interviewing him. And I think it was Howard Stern was interviewing him, And this was years ago. And Howard was talking about, about, how are you so funny? How do you come up with these bits? And he said, I write every day. Mm-hmm. And he said more than half of it never, ever sees the light of day. But I write every single day because if you don't do it every single day, you don't get better at it. And even still to this day, he still writes every day. Mm -hmm. And I think about one of my favorite authors is David Sedaris, and he keeps a diary and he writes every day and then he turns those diaries into books. But they're not like exactly what he wrote in his diary. He knows how we can craft a story around the everyday life and Mm. his everyday you would think, Oh, his everyday life is so interesting and and so funny. And it's not, (laughs) it's just the way he describes it. It's a story he tells about his everyday
1: life. Exactly. Yeah. I know there's a great uh, documentary called comedian and what Seinfeld did is after the run of Seinfeld, he threw all his material away, put it aside and he started over Mm. and, This this documentary, Comedian, uh, he actually starts over, and you see Jerry Seinfeld bombing. Why? Because it's new material. Yes. So When he does an HBO special, he's been working on that for 10 years. Like, that's crazy. Of course, it's, you know, and he'll work, he'll work, like, eight hours to take an eight word joke and make it a six word joke. Why? Because the closer he can get all of the punchlines together, that is what works. And so it's the work that most people aren't willing to do. You know, he's not just going up there and winging it. When I learned there's like exercises comedians go through, I'm like, what? And, And I'm like, well, I'll go through those too. I don't even have to be super funny, but it just feels so good to get the laugh. Yeah.
0: And so that it just ties it all back up. It's all about doing it. It's repetition. And what other way to say that is habits, you know?
1: Yeah. And it's, it's, if you commit to those habits, you will get a breakthrough. It might not be today. It might not be tomorrow, but if you commit to those habits, Mm -hmm. you'll get the breakthrough you need, but it only comes from that experience, not from wanting, wishing, or taking a class.
0: Right. Right. Well, that's the perfect way to end it. That is the perfect. Way to end it. Thank you so much, Darren. This was so great.
1: You're welcome. Thanks for inviting me.
0: I love Darren. Like I mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, Darren was the second person I met at the NSA conference in Vegas. And when he found out that it was my first time attending and that I had come alone and that I didn't know anyone else, he took me under his wing and made me feel special and welcome. He included me in his dinners, invited me to comedy shows, and introduced me to other NSA members. He is one terrific person. And the stories that he shared with us today were not just fun, but also really useful. This interview is so well-timed as people look into the new year with new goals for themselves or their businesses and wonder how they are going to achieve those goals. And the answer is consistency and making the things that will get you to your goals a habit that you do every day. The only way to get better at something is to consistently do it. The only way to move towards your goal is to make steady progress every day. It won't be easy, but it'll be worth it, no matter how long it takes. I encourage you to look up Darren and watch some of his speeches so you can see how he tells a story on stage. A story that is not only funny, but teaches valuable lessons all at the same time. Since Darren and I met in Vegas, I wanted to come up with a cocktail reminiscent of Vegas. When I googled the most popular cocktails in Vegas... Vodka Red Bull came up as the most popular cocktail. Makes total sense. I mean, you got to pump the caffeine to stay up all night, but I cannot have caffeine in my diet, so I cannot make that drink. So thinking of a different way to look at Vegas, when I think of Vegas, I like to think of old school Vegas, like the Rat Pack. And there is a Rat Pack Manhattan, and each ingredient denotes a member of the Rat Pack. Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, Sammy Davis Jr., Peter LaFord, and Joey Bishop. Here's what you're going to need. One and a half ounces of Grand Marnier, one and a half ounces of whiskey, three-fourths ounce of sweet vermouth, and three-fourths ounce of dry vermouth, and uh, three dashes of bitters. Place everything in a cocktail mixing glass with ice, stir until thoroughly chilled, strain into a chilled martini glass, and then zest a fresh orange twist over the glass and garner with a skewered cherry. Now, this is a pretty big drink. I mean, one and a half ounces, one and a half ounces, three-fourths ounce of three. Yeah, it's a big drink. But you know what they say about martinis? hits. One is never enough. Three is too many. Two? Two is just right. That's it, friends. Oh, wait, actually, sorry. One more thing. One more thing. I am announcing in my newsletter this week, so the people who are on my newsletter list, I'm announcing in the newsletter this week, which is coming out today, that I am bringing back a very limited amount of my one-to-one 60-minute breakthrough sessions again. Last year, I released five sessions and those sold out on the first day, so I ended up adding five more. I don't do this very often, and so now for the new year, I'm releasing 10 sessions. So if you're interested in working with me one-to-one to tackle what you might be struggling with in regards to your networking or business development, You can click on the link in the show notes to reserve your 60-minute session with me. Okay, now that's it. Until next
1: week. Cheers. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a tip. And remember, you can unapologetically be who you authentically are and still be wildly successful. That's a fact. See you next week on This Shit Works.